0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Salem United Methodist Church Conway. You can find us on the web at SalemUMCConway.org. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you today. We come and we give you thanks for this opportunity that we have to, to join together in worship. To sing praises to you and to hear your word. So, Father, we ask now that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear your message today. Allow it to make a difference in our lives. Allow it to transform who we are. That we would walk out of here changed by what we have experienced and what we have heard. More equipped to to live as your disciples in our world. Father, use me as your instrument of truth and grace today. Speak through me and in spite of me. In your name I pray. Amen. One episode of the old Alfred Hitchcock Presents TV show was about a pretty woman who was serving a life sentence in prison. Angry and resentful about her situation, she had decided that she would rather die than to live another day or even a year in prison. Over the years, though, she had become good friends with one of the prison caretakers, and his job, among many others, was to bury those prisoners who died in a graveyard that was just outside the walls of the prison. When a prisoner would die, the caretaker would ring a bell, and then he would place the body into a casket, into a coffin, and then he would go and fill out the death certificate. He would then come back and nail the coffin shut and wheel it out to the graveyard and bury it. Knowing this routine, the woman devised an escape plan, and she shared it with the caretaker. The next time that the bell rang, the woman would leave her cell, sneak into the dark room where the coffins were kept. She would slip into the coffin where the dead body was, and then wait for it to be nailed shut and wheeled out into the, to the graveyard. She knew that she would have enough air to last until later that evening when the caretaker could come back and dig her up and set her free. Now, the caretaker was very reluctant to go along with this plan, but since he and the woman had been really good friends over the years, he agreed to do it. So the woman waited several weeks for someone in the prison to pass away, and she was asleep in her cell when she heard the death bell ring. She got up, picked the lock of her cell, walked slowly and quietly towards the room where the coffins were kept, found the one that was, had the dead body in it, and slipped into it. She waited and heard the footsteps coming and then the pounding of the nails for the lid to be nailed shut. Now, she was uncomfortable doing this, but she knew that with each nail that went in, she was closer to freedom. And so then, after several minutes of absolute silence, she, she began to hear that the coffin was being wheeled out to the, to the graveyard and lowered down into the grave. And she heard the thud of the coffin hit the, and she felt it too when it hit the bottom and heard the dirt being piled in on top. And after a while, she decided out of curiosity that she wanted to light a match and and see who was there. But before that, she just couldn't help but, but burst out into laughing because she was free. So she lit the match, and there, to her horror, she discovered that she was lying next to the dead caretaker, the only person that knew her plan. So as the final scene faded to black, all you heard was the woman screaming. Typical of Hitchcock's horror stories, this one has an unexpected and unhappy ending. Many people believe they have life all figured out. They plan to sin, they live their lives by their own rules, or by so doing, they gain freedom and happiness, at least they think. In the end, however, they discover the truth that sin only leads to death and destruction. The Israelites, led by King Ahab, did this exact Thing by turning their backs on Yahweh, deciding to do things their own way. King Ahab is known as the king who did more to provoke anger of the Lord than all other kings before him. Ahab crossed the line when he took Jezebel, the daughter of the Sidonian king Ithbal, as his wife, and in turn became a follower and worshiper of the god Baal. In fact, Ahab had the guts to build a temple to Baal in Samaria, all of this greatly angered God because the Israelites, led by their king, put another God before him, thus falling into sin as they decided to do life on their own terms. Baal was known as the Phoenician god of rain and fertility, and thus it was believed that through worshiping him, life would be given and sustained through the giving of rain and fertile ground for crops. And The provision of sustenance as well as the provision of life itself through offspring. And it's at this point in the biblical narrative that Elijah comes onto the scene and he declares to King Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before, I who, who, before who I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And that's exactly what happened. For years, there was no rain or dew in the area, and the area fell into a great drought. And because of that, it fell into a great famine. Now, Elijah burst onto this scene here rather abruptly, and we know very little about him, except that he's from Tishbe in the northern town of Gilead, and that his name literally means Yahweh is my God. Which is a blatant declaration in the face of King Ahab and the Israelites who have turned to Baal to sustain and give life with Elijah's prophecy. King Ahab grows angry with Elijah, and he tries to kill him, thus forcing Elijah to live on the run and to turn to Yahweh to provide for him and to sustain his life. Elijah is told to go east to the Wadi Cherith, which is a creek by the Jordan, and live there, allowing the ravens to provide food for him and the creek to provide water. However, the drought becomes so bad that Elijah is then forced to leave there and to move on and to turn to Yahweh again for his provisions. It's here at this point where we pick up our text today, which comes to us from 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8-24. through So if you'll turn in your Bible to 1 Kings 17, 8-24. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise! Go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the great city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent And the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. And He took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God. And that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We see here in our text once again that Yahweh is providing for Elijah through the widow. And not just any widow, but a Gentile widow. So we see Yahweh going outside of the nation of Israel to provide for his prophet. The act of the widow giving her last bit of food to Elijah is an act of faith and of trust that she is demonstrating and through this act God is blessing the widow and her son as they continue to eat day after day God is showing here that he and he alone is responsible for giving and sustaining life the next turn in the text the son and the widow the son of the widow falls ill to the point of death and the widow blames this on her sin And the act of placing blame for illness on one's sin as as a punishment uh, was very common for the culture of the ninth century. However, I do not believe that this was the reason for the death of the boy. The widow's son died so that Yahweh could once again show that he is the giver and sustainer of life. Through Elijah, God gave back the boy's life and made evident to the widow that Yahweh is the giver of life. An important part of this text for us to note is how the widow responded to the gift of her son's life. Now I know that you're a man of Yahweh, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth, she says. Now we don't know for sure, because the text doesn't tell us, but I can imagine that the widow went on to be a follower of Yahweh, and she turned from following Baal. (coughs) How could she not have done so? This, after all, is what she's experienced from Elijah. How could she not have done that? To understand that Yahweh and not Baal is the giver of life. You see, we, like the widow, especially like King Ahab, we often put things into our own hands, turning our backs on God and looking to other sources for life. We turn to other things and turn to other people and to bad habits into God's for us, and we look to them to give us life and to sustain us, to help us along our way. Things such as drugs and alcohol, TV and money and gambling, success, food, our own self-image, sex, hobbies, our own work, and there's many, many more things I'm sure we could name. We turn to these things to give us fulfillment, to provide for us, to numb the pain, to be sources of life for us. And we end up worshiping them and allowing them to consume our lives. In short, turning them into gods, hoping that they will give life or sustain our lives. In reality, all these things will do, though, is destroy our lives. We turn to these things looking for life-giving qualities because we have a limited view in our humanness. We've lost sight. That God's view is unlimited. We're told daily by our culture that we must be responsible for ourselves and that we are the only ones who can do anything about our situation, about our future. While there's some truth to this and that we have to take on some of the responsibility, we must remember though that God is who directs our lives and he is the one who is ultimately in control. We must remember that Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 tells us, Trust in the Lord with your own heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. We must put our trust in God, knowing that he will take care of us. That God, he alone will provide for our every need. And if we put our trust in him and do our part, he will. For he is the giver of life as he proved with the widow through Elijah, with the single jar of meal and the resurrection of her son, and then to King Ahab and all the prophets and followers of Baal through the drought and the miraculous display of power on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18. God is the giver of life, and he has shown us that over and over again. Christ tells us in John 10.10 that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Christ declared that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he tells us here in John that he came to give us life. The life that he gives is made possible through his death and resurrection on the cross. Through Christ and the power of the resurrection, we can overcome the things of this world that we have turned into God's. All we have to do is trust in God and not our own understanding to daily turn our lives over to him. The widow responded to the resurrection of her son by acknowledging that Elijah was truly a man of Yahweh and that his words were true. Will you respond to the resurrection of Christ by turning over the things in your life that are holding you back, the things that you look to for life-giving qualities but only kill, still and destroy? Will you turn over the sins that you are guilty of? Will you allow Christ through the power of the resurrection to be the giver of life for you? Will you allow him to truly set you free, not allowing sin to take you to the grave because like the prisoner in Hitchcock's story, once the dirt is tossed on top of the coffin, there is no escape. So instead of living life by your own rules and giving into the things that you have made into God's, the things that hold you captive, will you allow God through Christ to be the giver of life for you? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you will join us in worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. We're located at 1018 Salem Road in Conway, Arkansas.